I think we're going to hand back to Phil. So Phil is, is one of the elders with me in the, in the church, um, part of the team that, that lead the church. And uh, Phil's going to, going to talk now from the Bible. We've been walking through um, the 1 and 2 Kings, which is um, the stories of Elijah and Elisha, two great men who followed God and brought God's message and God's purpose to the people around them. And uh, Phil's just going to carry on our series for us. So thank you, Phil. Welcome this morning. It's um, probably a bit late for welcome, isn't it? You've already been welcomed and you are welcome. It's great to have you. Um, It's good to be here. Well, we have the joy of continuing our um, preaching series, our Troublemakers preaching series this week on Elijah and Elisha, as Paul mentioned. And uh, this week we're going to look at a passage which by all accounts seems pretty bleak, uh, is and pretty grim in parts and as we read you'll find out why but um, so the, uh, the, the passage recounts just in a nutshell before we get into it how Syria which is the northern bordering nation of Israel uh, come down to besiege Samaria which is the capital of Israel at the time and if you were being besieged the army so the army of Syria the Syrian army will surround the, the city of Samaria and essentially you're, you're stuck. So there's no going in, there's no coming out. If you're besieged, you're stuck in the city. There's no going out to get sustenance or food or anything like that, you're trapped. And you either, you either starve to the point of defeat or you get so weak and you know, in such a desperate situation that you, you, know, you have to surrender, you're like, we can't carry on. Um, And lo and behold, you're defeated. That's kind of the situation that we're just about to read. Um, So so I hope I've slightly whet your appetite for it. If you've got a Bible, please do open it to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verse 24 uh, through to chapter 7, verse 8. Uh, And it says this. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. By the way, um, unusual things to eat, massive inflation, desperation, people were desperate and things that you wouldn't normally eat were very now, now very, very pricey just to give a bit of a window of what's going on there. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he he said, If the lord will not help, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? You know, there's there's no more grain, there's no more drink. we've, We've run out. And he said, and he asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, that's the prophet, remains on his shoulders today. 
Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger had arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this, mu- how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. He's not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he was still speaking with them, the messengers came down to him and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. So they rose at twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made an army, uh, the army of the Syrians, hear the sound of chariots, of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the edge of the camp, They went into the tent and ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off other things from it and went and hid them. The conclusion of this chapter is that these lepers end up bringing the news to the people, the guards on the wall, the guards bring the same news that the lepers bring to them back to the king. That news is the Syrians have gone. We're now not being besieged. The Syrians have done one because they've heard the sound of an army and they've thought, we need to get out of here because we're going to be outnumbered. And lo and behold, Elisha's word comes true. The, the people in the city go out and they plunder the camp and they, they have food and drink and, and within that 24-hour period, all of a sudden, food prices return to normal. God delivers his people quite miraculously, quite incredibly. So in the story we see you know, we see desperation, we see faith, we see unbelief, we see absolute disaster. If you were a Jew living there at the time, your, your, your perception would be, you know, we're done for, this is it. And then all of a sudden, perception has changed because they get remarkable, uh, miraculous deliverance as God just intervenes. But we're going to look at, um, as we work through this particular story, we're just going to look at um, a couple of people that feature in the story, uh, resi- re- resilience and perseverance in desperate times, um, and also the rescue of God that happens, the, the, the incredible intervention of God. But first, just to look at a couple of characters, we see, um, we see the king and the captain. Neither of them, if you, if you remember the text we've just read, respond in a great way. So the captain essentially is like, well, 
I don't even think God could rescue us from this situation. So, you know, that's, that's the camp he's sitting in. This is so dire and bleak. I think probably the guy didn't have much of a walk with God. I mean, we can probably read that from the text. He's totally, um, he, he's, he's laughing at the prospect that Elijah says, actually, no, by this time tomorrow we're going to be delivered. He's like, no, even if the Lord had windows in heaven, he couldn't do that for us. That's ridiculous. This is it for us. How could you say such nonsense? And the king well, he's not there, but he's actually wearing sackcloth, which is a sign of repentance or grief. And, and so he's responding, but he's angry at God and he, he's blaming God. Why should I wait for the Lord? Why should I wait on the Lord? And he takes you know, impulsive vengeance as if it's all Elisha's fault. You know, we probably should kill the guy who's the prophet to God because he's not helping us either. Elisha, on the other hand, it's worth noting, isn't removed from this national disaster but he responds completely differently. You might say, okay, yeah, but he's a prophet, and so he knew it before, you know, he knew the end from the beginning, or he at least had a clue about what was going to happen. The guy had also had an assassin sent out from the king to go and kill him, and he didn't have the end result of what was going to happen with that. But this is a guy who is confident in God. He trusts God. His confidence is there. He's not looking at the situation. He's remaining in a position which is I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be close to God. I need to be close to God. Otherwise, you know, my perspective goes way off. Some very contrasting responses to the situation. Imagine, you know, just for a moment, imagine that was our situation. You were, you were, you were shut up like the Jews in, a, in, the, in this city, the city of Samaria. How would you respond I think probably, just to be open and honest, myself, I don't think I'm alone in this. When I've gone through difficulties, I think I've responded like the captain, I think I've responded like the king, and hopefully, more often than not, I've responded by, like Elisha, but I'm, you know, hopefully more often than not now that is, that is the case. But we go through trials, and it's hard. It's really hard. And so uh, the question that I'd like to present to us this morning, whether you're watching in your lounge or your kitchen or your dining room or here in the room, is how are you responding to situations around you now which look difficult? Are you responding uh, like the captain who just laughs at the prospect of God being able to intervene as if God's not even strong enough. Is, is that your position? Have you, kind of, have you resigned yourself to this place which says, I've given up on God, he can't change this situation? Are you angry at God like the king? Are you saying, why should I wait on the Lord any longer? He's not delivered me. This is hard. Why should I wait for him? Or are you like Elisha? Are you saying, no, my confidence is in him. Regardless of how bleak the situation looks, my confidence is in God. Are you staying close to him? The last 15 months living in coronavirus for many of us have, not not all of us, for many of us, will have been some of the most difficult 15 months we will have ever been through. Um, Being isolated, being trapped in your homes. You know, we all remember when coronavirus hit in the nation, the shelves in the shops went empty in, in a day or so. Um, and you know, similarly, the people of God here had nothing. You know, we've been through times more recently where 
disasters struck. And we've ended up in a bit of a desperate, desperate position, but how have you responded to that? Look, the coronavirus for many of us will have compounded some of this other stuff that we're going through. Maybe, maybe for you, it's, um, maybe, to, maybe it's not the, kind of the same similar situation, but it's still difficult. Maybe it's singleness. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's trauma in broken relationship. Maybe it's, you know, it could be any number of things which is difficult because of the situations we're placed in. Life is like that, isn't it? How do you respond? How do you respond to this? Personally, for myself, thinking of some more difficult situations, some of you will know this journey a little bit about me. Um, So when we moved to Peterborough, my wife and I, um, about seven years ago, I felt God tell me I want you to work in the prison. So in Peterborough, if you're watching online, if you're not from here, there's a prison in Peterborough. Um, And so I became a prison officer. And I'm, I don't think I'm your natural, stereotypical prison officer, um, but in that environment, I was squeezed and pressured in a way that I've never felt it before. Um, and put in situations that aren't, you know, it, 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 it aren't appropriate to repeat here, but man alive. You think, I remember coming home from work most days thinking, God, I know you put me here. I know you've put me in this position but this, this sucks. It's hard. It's really, really difficult. The stuff that I had to see on a day-to-day basis or be involved with or try and keep the peace in, man alive. And some of us are going through the same stuff. And it's important. It's, it's important. The way we respond to these things is really, really important. I'm not, um, I'm not going to tell you that it'd be unhelpful if I did, that your situation is just going to get better because, you know, if we look at the story, circumstantially for the Jews, one moment it was bad and a couple of days later it was fine again. Um, sometimes we go through stuff for a long time and it's hard and you just have to walk through it and you think it's not come to an end yet and you've just got to keep going. Um, Eugene Peterson said, um, <laughs> paraphrased something like, The Christian walk is a long walk in the same direction. You've just got to keep plodding. The way we approach uh, these things that don't necessarily get fixed straight away is really important. James uh, chapter 1 verse 2, one of the the epistles from the apostles in the New Testament says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. I can tell you I struggled to find it pure joy when I was finding it difficult in the prison. Um, but there are moments of, of breakthrough, you know, and, and they come not because you put on some strength or anything like that, but because we go, actually, while I walk through this, I need to be close to God, otherwise my perspective is going to be way off and I'm going to struggle. But incredibly, as we go through difficult times and we say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to to stay close to you and to lean on you and to be confident in you, our perspective entirely changes. We mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the verse also in the book of James, verse four, uh, chapter eight, verse four. Chapter four, verse eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you're going through difficult stuff, if you're, going, if you're not going through difficult stuff, draw near to God, this is a promise, he will draw near to you. 
1 Peter, verse six, uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We have some promises that God has given to us that we are allowed to lean on, especially in times like this. And, uh, and that is to say, Lord, your word says you'll never leave me or forsake me. Jesus said to his disciples, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. He is faithful. He never leaves us. He never leaves us. Our, our perception to that only changes if we, if we start creating distance ourselves from him, but he never leaves us. What does God do? What does God do? Towards the end of this passage, we read an angelic, uh, an, an army is heard by the king of the Syrians and uh, the Syrians go, man, we need to skedaddle fairly fast because there's a big army coming and we're going to get defeated and it's going to hurt, so let's go. The angelic army that I, I just mentioned, we see earlier on in, in chapter 6, um, and they surround Dothan and Elisha says to his apprentice, look, are, are those... Um, those that are with us are greater than those that are with them. And it's likely that the Syrian army heard in the heavenly realm somehow this angelic army on its, on its, uh, on its, um, on its way back to heaven and have just gone, you know, we need to get out of here. The Lord delivers the people. The people were utterly, you know, freed from what was going to be a very, very bleak result for them. I want to say to us, friends, God rescued his people then. He rescues rescues his people now. 100%. The king of Israel, when he deals with the two women, uh, with the woman that tells about her circumstance with the other woman, um, he's unable to help. He has no wisdom to give. He has no uh, good counsel to offer and justice doesn't happen in that situation. I mean, what a bleak situation. We come this morning, friends, to one whose counsel is always good. The word of God is always good. Justice always prevails with him. And his word stands forever. And justly, He holds us to account from the stuff in our lives that separate us from him, which is is our greed, our self-absorption, our idolatry, you know, our worshipping of other things and and our self-pity and our anger and our arrogance and our lustfulness over other things that we shouldn't be lusting after. And those things that separate us from God, that is sin, God deals with justly which means he holds us to account, but praise God. Friends, if you're listening this morning, there is one who took our place, that died in our place. The wages of sin is death, that's what the Bible says, so that we could be delivered. There is rescue for us this morning. And I want to encourage us, you know, some of these messages, is, the majority of these messages, you'll go through hard times. And the Bible tells us that is true. But we can have such hope. I want us to lift our eyes because we can have hope this morning. We have a God that isn't passive to intervene. We have a God who, when we were enemies and far from him, 
decided to move towards us to rescue us. That is the kind of God that we come to. Hallelujah. Because we can't rescue ourselves. We're not holy. He is holy. The punishment for our sinfulness is death. So Jesus died so that we could come into everlasting life. Isn't this good news? Is it good news? It's good news. And he promises us, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you to the end, of the, uh, the end of the age. King David, when he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of his death, your rod and staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil. In life, we will walk through this, but his rod and staff, they comfort us. He walks with us. He is faithful to us. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I've not promised you a life that's easy. <laughs> I've, um, to be fair, I've promised you the entire opposite. But I can tell you from experience and friends and family and those who love the Lord will tell you the same. We don't go into a simple life, but we come to know the one who gives life in all its fullness. The one who satisfies our deepest craving for, for relationship, for knowing fulfillment, for, for knowing purpose, for, for, for needing love and affirmation. He gives that. He gives that. And so I want to say to you today, if you know Jesus... Draw close to him again. Let's be like Elijah who's rested on him, who leaned on him, who is confident and trusted in him. Let's trust the promises of God that he's faithful to us. He loves us. And if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And let's, let's adopt a posture that says, Lord, I'm going, to wait. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to exalt your name. I'm going to wait on you and enjoy you because you're good. Friends, I'm just going to pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are our deliverance. You're, you're the one who deliver, delivers us. I thank you, Lord, that we're not promised an easy life. You don't promise us that. You promise to be with us in the midst of it and, and shape our faith to be something beautiful as we've trusted in you amidst the whole of life. Lord, I thank you that you're so faithful. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're so faithful to us. Lord, I pray would you remind us and set our eyes upon your goodness. If we're in doubt or in struggle, Father, set our eyes upon your goodness. I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters listening to this morning that we'd be reminded of your goodness to us. And Lord, that we would exalt you much because Jesus, you suffered the greatest in order to bring us into the best relationship we could ever have. We love you, Lord Jesus. What a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. I'm so pleased that we can draw close to him and he draws close to us. I was just thinking I've been a follower of Jesus for about 33 years now and uh, it still amazes me sort of that you're just learning more and more how glorious he is and how closely he wants to draw to us. And so whether you've been, you know, if, whether you've just given your life to Jesus or whether you know, some people have got years on me in terms of following Jesus. If, you know, if you're into your 70th decade of following Jesus, just want to encourage you, you know, the rest of today and during the week to draw close to him. And as Phil said, he will draw close to us. Just take time to enjoy that closeness that Jesus brings, that God brings into our lives. Really want to encourage you to do that this week. Until next Sunday, see you soon.